Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. The message you're about to hear was given March 21st, 2021 by guest preacher Mike Shields. Pastor Mike is the EFCA Central District Superintendent, and here he opens the book of Ecclesiastes and helps us to see what a great gift God has given us in each other. For more information, head to compassefc.com. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. God is at work here at Compass Church, amen? Wow, we can try that again. God is at work right now at Compass Church, amen? Amen. amen. It's so fun to be a part of. I, I, I get a front row seat to this, and it's awesome. Uh, as a church family, we are in a season of change, and part of the reason for what we're seeing God doing is the resources that God has made available to us and this morning, we want to make one of those resources available to you as well. This is uh, to my left. This is Mike Shields. Can everyone welcome Mike? Mike's, Mike's title sounds very official. He is the EFCA Central District Superintendent. Woo! But, Whoopee. but at the heart, at his core, Mike is a churchman. Mike loves the Church of Jesus Christ. He has been a pastor for many years. And I personally have benefited from his years of pastoral wisdom, and so have many others in our church. And so this morning, we just want to give him as a gift to you and, uh, and just give, provide an outside voice to hear more wisdom about the exciting things God is doing and the invitation to come on mission with what Jesus is doing here in Columbia. So that's enough from me. Mike, take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Craig. Hi, church. How are you? Are you alive today? You're well? And Great worship, by the way. You know, I love, I love seeing the, uh, the elders are, are serving here and uh, the pastoral staff running around helping. And, and uh, a healthy, this is a healthy church, folks. This is a great place to be. And as I, 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 we have 132 churches in four states that I travel. And so when I get to a place where I feel like, uh, boy, this, God's at work in a certain church family, I want to tell you that. Don't take it for granted because... You can't count on uh, God's Holy Spirit being present throughout generations unless he pleases and wishes to pour out his Holy Spirit. And, and I, I just want to ask you, as the word of God is taught here, would you continue to pray that God would move in and through your body to reach Columbia and the greater Columbia area for Christ? Really, when all is said and done, and eternity is where you and I are residing, it's not going to be very long from now. Tell you what, I'm 58, and these 58 years have gone by like a, like a flash. And we went from zero to seven grandkids in about two years. And, uh, I mean, it just, it just happened. Uh, we have no idea what caused it. I'm not sure what, <laughs> what caused all of that. But um, uh, we love our kids and our grandkids. My wife would have loved to have been here today. But she had to go see her mom out in Fort Collins, Colorado. She just got back last night, probably listening this morning. So i got to be careful about what I say. But uh, she, her mom is struggling with, um, with, with a very debilitating uh, disease. Um, and, and she just wanted to be with her. And I love that about my wife. I, I just cherish that about her. Let's pray, and then we're going to dig right in. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I pray that you're going to think today. When you come to church, you don't stop thinking. You have to think when you're in God's house because his word is powerful. It's transformative in your life. And as you come through these doors, make sure that, that you don't check out and say, well, it's a place to feel. 
It is a great place to feel, and lot, lots of different feelings you're going to feel today. But most importantly, you're going to think about our great God and the holiness of our God and the way that he's given one another as a gift. It's a precious gift, folks, to be together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We trust you. As we open your word, I pray that we would listen to your voice. I'm, I'm just, a, a, just a meager servant, and you are the master, and I pray that you would speak in a powerful way. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was in northwest Iowa, and you can tell by the way I'm dressed today. I came from like five hours north. You know, I'm, I'm like dressed up for cold weather, and, and you guys are here with short sleeves, and it's going to be, what, 70 here today? But I was in northwest Iowa, and I was in a little town, and I won't name the town uh, lest the name of this individual um, be heard. But I was in a little restaurant. I went into a little restaurant, and I was going to pick up some food to take it out and meet with a pastor in that town who just needed time to, to be encouraged and whatnot. And so I went in that little restaurant, I, and I ordered. And you're at that little counter. Everybody hears what you order. You've got to be careful. You don't, you don't say your credit card out loud, you know. Um, but they kind of look and swipe it, and they said it'll be 20 minutes. You can go ahead and stand against the wall. There's really no place to sit. And I went and I stood against the wall. You know how you do and you get your phone out and you look like you have important stuff to do. And I'm kind of, you know, against the wall and I'm scrolling and I hear this voice. And this voice says, hey, come and sit with me. And this is only a couple of months ago. I'm like, well, who does that? That's illegal. We can't sit with people we don't know, right? I mean, it's a pandemic. I, we can't sit, just go sit with anybody. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I've got stuff to do. I'm good for these 20 minutes. And so about a minute goes by, and I'm, I'm just leaning there. I'm still scrolling through, doing my stuff, all these important emails, of course. And I hear the voice again, and he says, I said that to you because I'm lonely. And now I feel like a jerk. And you can, you can say, I think you're a jerk. I'm okay with that. Because immediately the Holy Spirit uh, really led me to a place of Mike. When you heard that voice, if you can come and sit with me, you should have understood the day in which we live. Who would say that? Unless they were desperate for somebody to sit with them and notice them and see them. And I sat down with this man. I found out his name was Gerald. I found out he's a, a, a fellow Christian. He's a farmer, never been married, no kids, no grandkids. He comes to that restaurant for somebody to talk to. And he said... Um, thank you for sitting with me, and, and, and I, I apologized, and I said, uh, man, I, if I had been thinking rightly, I would have come and sat with you right away. But for me, that's a picture of this past year. The needs are so deep, and the pain runs so deep in our lives, we don't even know what to do with it. We, we, we laugh because if we don't laugh, we're going to cry. And there are times in the middle of the night that we feel like everything is out of control. I've been there know exactly how that feels. And I want you to think of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I want to read it, and then we're going to go through it verse by verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Under the sun is simply a picture that the author wants to give us of what it means to be in this world that is broken by sin and broken by our unfaithfulness and the pain that we experience. 
And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Have you ever felt that? You, you watch the news and you, you see, you see uh, the pain that people are experiencing. I think of our Asian community right now and the pain that they're experiencing. And we see it, and it's told to us on the news, but to think of it deeply and to feel it and understand it, begin to pray and, and, and encourage one another. But it says, And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever, have you ever driven past a cemetery and said, they're the lucky ones? You ever felt that way? Or am I the only one that's ever been in that deep pit? Or I'm just crying out to God and I'm saying, God, give me, give me something to hold on to. I know that you are true. I know that you are real. I know that Christ is my Savior and my Lord, but God, give me something that I can hold on to right now because everything seems to be like a chasing after the wind, right? We try to get happiness under the sun. We need happiness from outside of this material world, and that's why Christ came. That's why Jesus came. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So even better than those who have lived and died are those who have not even been born. They don't even know the pain. Well, I look at our little grandkids and I pray for them. and I, I pray God protect them. And I know they're going to experience pain. We all do. And difficulties. Then I saw all the toil and skill of work from a man's hands, envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. I'm going to explain some of these verses a little bit later. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of striving after the wind. And again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. So they never ask, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. And then we're going to get to this. The answer comes to our pain. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and yet has no one else to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So as I think about that, you know what comes to mind for me right away? It's an old U2 song. Um, you remember the U2 album, uh, Joshua Tree? You're in church, but you can, you can admit that you've ever heard that, that album. Anybody ever heard that album? Yeah, you can admit you have. Um, and some of you are like, I don't know, it's maybe not the right thing. But there was a song on that album, and it was, anybody remember the most popular song on that? Maybe the most popular album of the last 30 or 40 years? What was it? What's the most popular song on that album? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That is the cry of the human heart without Jesus Christ. That is the cry of the human heart without our Lord. And you even hear it when you think about what our culture is saying to us, the church. And, and I think about uh, these words under the sun. And why Ecclesiastes? Because Ecclesiastes gives, gives us answers that aren't found anywhere else in the Bible. 
If there ever was a man who could find his meaning outside of God, it was Solomon. He had, he had just about everything. Ecclesiastes, uh, what a positive message, huh? What a warm and fuzzy book. I bet you all are like, why did I come to church today? I'm already feeling a little bit depressed. And I, and I pray that you're taking it in and you're processing what you've heard so far because the Holy Spirit's going to be at work in your life. But I want you to know that as you think about this, there was a great author, Herman Melville. He was the author of Moby Dick, and he said, Ecclesiastes is the truest of all books. It's the best book, he said, truest. And he would say, it's because there is sorrow in it that I trust it. I don't, I don't trust people who haven't gone through times of sorrow. I don't know about you. I remember a guy saying, I'm not going to go to your men's group because it's a whole bunch of crash and burn stories. And I said, wait until you crash and burn and then come and join us. Because if you think that hasn't happened to you or won't happen to you, then you're dealing with a pride issue that you've got to put to rest in Christ. Because you know what? None of us are, are, are success stories outside of our Lord. Ecclesiastes means preacher. It's derived from the word ecclesia for congregation or assembly. That's what you are this morning. And the rabbis would read Ecclesiastes in the synagogue every year on Pentecost. It was, it was that important to them. The purpose of Ecclesiastes, you can find it in uh, chapter 12, verse 14, if you want to put that up on the screen. Chapter 12, verse 14, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. We're to fear God. We're to, we're to keep his commandments. Do you realize that God's love language is obedience? It's obedience. My wife has a love language, and her love language, I wish, was flowers, but it's not flowers. If it was flowers, I would be able to get on, get on an app and order flowers and pick them up, and I'd have them at home and be like, man, I'm a great husband. But you know what her love language is when I vacuum and when I clean up and when I, when I do things to take things off of her shoulders and off of her plate. And as our kids were growing up, whenever I would pitch in with the kids, and she said to me, Mike, you're, you're the most attractive to me when you're, when you're taking the kids and you're playing. I'm just watching you play with the kids. You're most attractive to me. So then, you know, I was, I was a bright guy. I would, you know, get them up at all hours of the night and, hey, let's go play. I want to be attractive to my wife. <laughs> hey, when, you're, when you have kids, you know, you've got to put the work in, right? But my wife's love language is me doing things for her. If I were to love her by giving her things, she would say, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. But it wouldn't be the same as me going out of my way and doing something for her. And God's love language is obedience. It is knowing his word. It is living his word. It is gladly surrendering to Christ as our authority. So if there's an area of obedience in your life that today you're just going, you know what, I just can't conquer that one. Of course you can't on your own. But obedience is God's love language. We need to remember that. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 4, 29 to 34. Let's see why Solomon is, is someone that we should listen to. I don't know if you can read this or not. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Calcal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish 
and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. Bright, bright man. He got, he got his whole love life really wrong, so don't, don't look at that part of his life and try to, try to get your, your perspective on, on, on marriage and relationship from Solomon. He got that area wrong, but, but when you think about his chasing after the things of this world and trying to grasp the wind and, and always coming up empty, he knew exactly what he was talking about. The beginning of chapter 4, he communicates a problem that he has with God. And I think you and I can understand that we have that problem at times. Not that we're saying, God, we don't trust you. In fact, probably the most difficult thing as a Christian is trying to understand why God would allow evil things to take place and that people would suffer when seemingly they did nothing to deserve that suffering. Those are questions that just resonate in our minds. And Solomon had that question. And you look at the things in our culture, and I look at uh, things like bullying and racism and abortion, and I think about the way that people treat one another. And I I hear the way that Christians treat one one another and believers and, and the things that we say to each other. And we don't realize when we're doing that what what harm that is doing to our witness. But if you have no problem with God in this, I I understand that. I'm, I'm not saying you have to have a problem with our God in this, but there are times of suffering and pain. And if you're following along in an outline, if you want to jot some things down, there are times of suffering and pain that appear to have no redemptive purpose. I want to show you a picture of a, of a little girl in the Sudan. This picture won a Pulitzer Prize, sadly. When you look at this picture, it was taken by a man named Kevin Carter. Several years ago, when Sudan was in a, in a, a very desperate famine, and this little girl was, according to the story, was about a mile from a UN food camp. She was about a mile. She was all alone. Nobody was with her. A vulture waiting for her to die. And this man, Kevin Carter, drove up in his vehicle. He, he took his uh, photography equipment out. He set it up, and he took this picture, and he brought it back to New York, and he won a Pulitzer Prize. It's called Struggling Girl. To me, it makes me sick to my stomach every time I see it. Now, for a second, I, w- I want you to look at this picture. That little girl, by the way, the Bible says, the Bible says that God protects the simple-hearted. That little girl, if she did not make it and is not alive today, she is in the presence of God because God protects the simple-hearted, okay? I I want to make sure that you understand that first off. But secondly, how can a man go back and win a prize on this and then answer this question this way? Somebody said to him, so, Kevin, what did you do after you got done with the picture? And he said, I put my uh, photography equipment away and I drove away. So you didn't help her? Just a few months after he won that prize, he took his own life. And that's not shocking at all. Because when you realize the the pain and the suffering that this little girl went through, and he understands that he had an opportunity to help one person, and he passed it up. And in his own life, he's trying to answer the questions of what is life really all about. And he ends up taking his own life. 
And I think about the oppression and the difficulty and the unjust, cruel exercise of power or authority. And we look at verses 1 to 3 again, all the oppressions done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And then he goes into talking about the dead, and they're better off. And then he says, no, those who've not even been born. But I want you to know that God hears the cries of the abused. If, if, if one of these categories fits you, God sees you. He hears the cries of the abused, of the bullied, of the trafficked, of the unloved spouse, of the one who is sick and abandoned by a loved one. God hears your cry, and he sees you. He knows you by name. And I had an encounter with a young lady who was taking staff pictures for us. And I'd never met her before, but she said, I want to volunteer and do that. She was a part of the church I was a part of. And I hadn't met her. We had, we had grown to a point where I, I, I just hadn't, didn't know a lot of the people who were at the church. And, uh, and she was volunteering her time. And afterward, I just, with another pastor, just said, thank you. Thanks for taking our pictures. We really appreciate that for our staff uh, to be on the website and have good professional pictures. We're glad to pay you. And she said, no, 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 I'm just getting my business started. And I said, well, tell me what your dreams are. And she said, I would like to open my own photography business. And that's kind of my dream, but I don't know if I can, you know, one of those kind of things. And then we said, can we pray for you? And it was nothing weird like putting a hand on her shoulder or anything. We just prayed for her. And when we prayed for her, I realized um, later that night, because I got an email from her about 2 a.m., here's what her email said. She said, thank you for seeing me. I'm like, man, it took no time at all, really. She was the one giving us a gift. And she said, thank you for seeing me. And then six months later, I never, I never saw her in between. Six months later, I get another email. Your prayers are answered. I've got my business up and running. My God, what a gift to be able to give to others the gift of seeing them. Let's do that. Let's make sure that that's the kind of church we are. So there's oppression, but you know what? The, the next several minutes, I want to talk about the solution because God's solution is great. Authentic community with other people is God's solution. We're going to jump to, to verse 9, then we're going to come back and just kind of pile through the other verses really quick at the end. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has yet not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together and they keep warm, how can one keep warm alone? Now, I know you're not, you don't live in a super cold climate, but when you live up north, we really get this verse. We get it. They didn't have um, forced air heat into their homes. They needed one another to stay warm. Even if you were having a fight, you know, husband and wife, they, you needed each other to, to stay warm. But, and then it says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The role of redemptive community has never been more important in our lives than today. The, the role of one another here, by the way, the, the way that God is going to do a great work through you, Compass Church, here in Columbia and the surrounding area, is if you love each other so much that people say, I want a part of that. I want in. And if you are willing to lay down your life for one another and you're willing to say, you know what, I'm not only going to forgive you, but I'm going to help you. If you're willing to do that with one another, give each other grace 
And when sin is abounding in somebody's life, care enough about them to go to them personally and say, I cannot watch you destroy your life. If you're willing to love each other that way, this place will be on fire with God's Holy Spirit and people will want to come and watch it burn. They will want to be a part of it. I've seen it happen, folks. I can't explain it other than when you lay your life down, you begin to see the great commandment as your call. And that that is how you springboard to fulfill the great commission. When you see that, it makes sense, and you begin to see in a powerful way God's Holy Spirit at work. And Solomon says in the middle of this, we need each other. We desperately, in a very deep way, with Christ at the center, we need each other. We need to be a part of a redemptive community in which we belong and we are loved. And you know what? We don't have to have our act together to walk through these doors. You don't have to be perfect. If you try to be perfect before you walk through these doors, this will be an empty place. And as you face the pain that life brings, um, have you ever tried to heal on your own? Have you ever tried to heal those deep places all by yourself? I'm not ashamed to say I've gone to a professional counselor in my life because I needed somebody from a Christian perspective to say to me, Mike, there's areas in your life that you need to work on. My father was an alcoholic. Um, He died when I was 13. He had cancer. My mom had been abused by an uncle when she was a child, and her faith in Christ was real, but it was very distorted. Her heavenly father, in her eyes, not much of a protector, but boy, did she love Jesus. And I know that when she passes away, she'll be in heaven, but everything was distorted in her life through abuse. And then in the midst of that, out of that, I come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, the, the, the teenage years of my life, I guessed at everything. And when you guess at everything, you get almost everything wrong. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, he has changed everything in my life. I have a marriage of 35 years. All of our kids know Christ. They're walking with him. They're married to people who love Jesus. We have grandkids that we're praying for. And I'm not saying that every once in a while you can do everything right as a mom and dad. And every once in a while, one of the kids, kind of like a balloon, gets stuck in a tree for a little while. And you just continue to pray for them. I'm not judging. I'm not saying everything needs to look perfect because we had times with our kids that were broken and painful. And there were things that that I can't even tell you about because I want to protect them because I care for them. It's a hard journey, but it's worth it in Christ. I want you to see this next picture of a a whitewater rafting um, little time our family did. So my wife on the left back and me and our four kids about 10 years ago, pre-grandkids, pre-marriage, none of them married, all kind of high school or below. Any, anybody ever whitewater raft here? Isn't that a blast? It's so fun. And we, you know, on this bridge, they take your picture and then you buy it for a, a ridiculous amount of money at the end. You notice we're all smiling and you can tell, all the, see all the white behind us? That's a raging river in Colorado, okay? So we could, have, we could have perished there. I mean, literally. There were rocks, there were turns, the water was running fast. He said, we're barely at the point where we can do this. If it were running any faster, we probably couldn't do this today. But I want you to look at the guy in the back. The guy in the back is the only one not smiling. 
You know why he's not smiling? Because if we die, he loses his job. He's the only reason we made it from, from start to finish. He's the only reason that we knew that course. We didn't know it. We had no idea what was in front of us. And isn't that a picture of life? We have no idea what's coming in front of us. We kind of just walk through life and go, you know, we're waiting for that next shoe to drop. But boy, things are going well for a while. And I think of, I think of the Holy Spirit when I think of this. That we are never alone. We are not going through the rapids and the pain of life all by ourselves. We've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a deposit guaranteeing eternal life, a deposit of God in your life, the knowledge and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I hope you spend time in this book. This book is amazing. This book is life-changing. You don't read it so that you can check off a box. You read it because you want to know the God who made you. And as you know him and as you read this book, you realize you turn around and it's reading you. But as uh, the Holy Spirit guides us and gives us direction in life, we realize that we are not alone. But how desperately we need each other, right? As the body of Christ, we need each other desperately. There's a lot of loneliness in our culture. In fact, an epidemic of loneliness. There was a, a study in the American Medical Association Journal, 276 people were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. They, they did it for a few dollars each. I don't know. that got to be pretty hard up to want to be injected with the common cold. A study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds. They had less virus. And, uh, and this is kind of gross, but they produce significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. I'm not making this up. They produce less mucus. That means, this is literally true, unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's, it's in a study of the American Medical Association. But there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture, and we don't realize the people right around us have been given to us as a gift from our God to help us get through the difficult pain of this world. Amen. Don't walk through it alone. You're tempted to make it alone. You're tempted to act like everything you, you, everything's together. Do you know how wonderful it is to have somebody stand up and say, you know what, I'm broken and I need, not only do I need Christ, but I need you. I desperately need you alongside me to make it. My wife and I have, uh, we have this commitment to each other. We'll just tell each other everything. I tell her when I don't feel very good about myself. I got a, I got a text from her this morning because she knows that, that preaching is something that, um, even though I do it almost every week, is something I really don't feel good about. So she said, um, I'm so proud of you for being obedient to preaching God's word. Man, I needed that. And I'm not ashamed to stand up in front of you today and say, this is fearful for me to do. It's hard because you put yourself out there with people you don't even know. And then and, and to have her alongside saying, way to go. Man, I'm proud of you. We need people like that in our lives, don't we? We need people encouraging us and helping us. In the last couple of minutes, what I'm going to do is I want to walk through Ways that we get in the way of having the authentic community with others that God desires for us. Let's go back to verse 4. In verse 4, 
we see envy getting in the way. Here's what I'm saying. God put one another uh, next to us to help us through the very difficult times of life. And the very first thing that we do is we have envy of other people, and it gets in the way of just being connected to them and knowing them and and having them close to us. Look what it says in verse 4. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill in work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And am I the only one that ever in my life has ever thought, well, why do they always get good stuff happening to them? Why don't I get more good things happening to me? Why them? You know, they they don't treat people very well, and God, you seem to be taking really good care of them. Has anybody ever had a thought like that, or am I the only one that's ever thought that way? We do, don't we? At times, we have envy of others, and when we're envious of another person, we cannot and will not get close to them. And so Solomon is telling us, first thing you got to root out in your life is envy. When somebody goes through a time that is difficult, mourn with them. Right? The Bible says mourn with those who mourn, but it also says what? Rejoice with those who rejoice. So even if somebody that you feel like, well, why are they getting something good again? Rejoice with them. Make it an effort in your life to rejoice with them, even if you're envious of them. It's very critical that we understand that. Christ calls you and I in such a way to rejoice in good things for other people. Um, And the antithesis of that, the exact opposite would be uh, to rejoice in their grief and their sorrow. And and, uh, boy, that's a miserable place to be. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like being around people who, who, who just complain about other people all the time? Nobody raises their hand. Thank you. Be careful not to be that person that complains all the time because you know what? People are going to draw back from you and you're going to wonder why you're alone. Be careful. The second one is sloth. It's, it's just plain being lazy in relationships. Look at verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's a guy who won't even get up and go to the refrigerator because that's too much work. So he, he, he just eats his own flesh. He's hungry, so he eats. And he doesn't realize he's devouring himself. And Solomon knows exactly what he's saying there. He's saying if you're lazy in relationship, you are not going to have people around you because relationships take work. Lazy people do not know true community. And being lazy with people is really easy to do. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. Our youngest is um, with us and her husband, and they just had a little baby, and they're between houses. You know one of those, you sell your house and then the closing doesn't match up perfectly, and you're without a house for like a month, one of those, what a joy to have them with us. It's a little messier. I'll trade the mess for the sound of a little baby in the house and my daughter and our son-in-law. What a joy. They're saying, are we in your way? I'm like, no, you're not in our way. You know what we'd be doing if you weren't here? We'd be cleaning or something. I mean, the place is... It's like immaculate when you're not here. But I'd rather have the mess. It's a lot more work. But I'd rather have the mess. I don't know about you. And that's true of every relationship in life. If, if, uh, people are messy, by the way. If you, if you worship a building and you're mad because somebody spills coffee in that building, you're going to forget the fact that it was a person made in the image of a holy God who came into that building who actually spilled the coffee Minister to them, love them, and they just clean the stuff up. 
Don't get hung up on this world and the stuff of this world. And no, I'm not telling you not to take care of your building. If you would have seen one of the, one of the churches um, that I pastored, you would say, oh my goodness, the, they really take good care of their building. Yes, we did. But we cared more about the people who came through the doors of that place. We had a little motto. We would say, every person who walks through these doors matters to God. Because they matter to God, they better matter to us. Next one is discontentment, verse 6. Look at verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. And he's saying just, uh, just don't be uh, discontent because when you're discontent, you won't draw close to others. And then excessive work, verses 7 and 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself? of pleasure. It's also vanity and unhappy business. So there are times in our work that we just, we just work and work and work and we don't realize at the end of that that we haven't been building relationships and, and building life along the way. I have so many regrets of when, when my kids were little. Praise God that they don't know how many hours I spent running around helping other families because uh, and not being home at night, not being in the house. Praise God, they don't remember all of that. But when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to say, I did a, and good work, you need to do good work. You need to work hard. Don't get me wrong. But you also need to be taking care of and loving those that are near you and investing in them. In fact, um, early on in, in ministry, my wife said she wanted to make a gift for me that displayed thoughts and memories of our relationship. She broke down in tears. It was early in marriage. She broke down in tears because she said, you're, you're gone so much. When I wanted to put together memories, I didn't have a lot to go, for, to go, uh, to go with. And, and she said it was really a, a moment that I needed to, to share with you. And then I changed my schedule after that. And I said, you know what, if I'm not investing in you and loving you and caring for you, uh, then everything else I'm doing is a waste of time. And so I had to turn things around, but she was honest enough to tell me. She said, I want to think of good things, and and all I'm thinking of is that I'm alone here with these little kids. So I want to get back to and close with this. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, uh, let's see this quote by Shakespeare. He understands this. So they loved as love in twain, had the essence but in one. Two distincts, division none, number there in love was slain. He understands the biblical understanding of the way that we're to care for one another and minister to one another. If you're looking at the, um, if you have an outline, you're looking at an outline, popularity is the final one. I'm not going to spend much time there at all. I do want to bring this to a close, but I want to share with you that we get caught up in popularity as well. And in verses 13 to 16, you see that. And uh, if you could put that little uh, picture up on the screen, this is kind of the middle school note before you had phones. When I was back in middle school, it was, hey, do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. We get caught up in popularity. We get caught up in thinking we need to have people know us and, and feel good about us. And in verses 13 to 16, the foolish king, might have been David that he's writing about, but this foolish king, when he gets to the end of his time, They're saying, who's going to rejoice in you? 
We want people to remember us. I mean, it's built in. By the way, the image of God is within each one of his creation. And one of the good things about that is we want to be noticed. That's not a sinful thing. We want people to like us. Think about God as a God who is worshipped and praised, right? That's in the character of our God. And in us, we have this desire to be known. We want people to say, you did a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. We twist it into an area where it becomes unhealthy. But it's part of the image of God in us to desire for someone to say, good job, way to go. We need to be encouragers of one another. We desperately need it. And what I have found is um, when I leave a church as a pastor and I go back 10 years later, there's a whole bunch of people there that are like, oh, Mike and Tracy, we love you guys. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle that are like, I think I remember them. Pastor Mark or whatever his name was. And then there's a whole bunch of people that are like, who is that old guy? But it's not about remembering us. In the end, it's about remembering Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. It's about preaching Christ. It's about truth. It's about making sure that his people understand that he is the only one to be worshipped, no matter, no matter what longing we have within us to be, to be receiving accolades of any kind. But here's a final quote, and then I'll pray. C.S. Lewis said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best might turn out to be. And that might be truly where you're at today. God, I trust you. God, I know that life is difficult. Like Paul in Philippians chapter 1, life is difficult. Here's a good... um, is a good outline of Philippians 1. Life is difficult. Jesus Christ is Lord. I will rejoice. If you're there, if you're wondering, God, I trust you, but, but I just don't know how difficult it's going to be. That's a normal feeling. But I guarantee you, you're going to be better off being close to other believers. As a body of believers, rejoice in that. Rejoice in one another. And I'm going to pray for you that you would make an impact not only in each other's lives, but that others would be invited into this this intimate family of believers in Christ. You know, the world is desperately looking for a safe place to come and hear truth. Will you be that kind of a place? Will you give to the next generation that gift? The best thing that I can give to my grandchildren is, a, is a, a church maybe that they can attend where the, the Word of God is taught in its entirety, in all of its truth, and where love is deeply lived out in a powerful way, where believers will lay down their lives for one another. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Compass. I thank you for the, the ministry of this church. God, I thank you for the, the power of the Word as you allow it to be shared here in this place, I thank you for these dear people. God, may you be glorified in their midst. May Christ be exalted here. And I would pray that their days to come would be days of rejoicing, 
and it would be days of seeing you powerfully at work. Glorify your name here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.